I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the The Flight Flight Safety Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GO team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, my friend, it's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. I am in uh, Colorado getting ready to leave on another trip. This is going to be a busy month of April for me. I've got multiple trips. How about you, John? Where are you and uh, what do you got going? Well, I'm in Boston right now, but I am getting ready for travel next week. Same thing. I'm heading south and then uh, and back and forth a couple of times like a yo-yo during April. Well, I want you to make sure that you're not yo-yoed up when I get to finally see you, my friend. We're going to be down at uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University uh, with the students and faculty down there in mid-April doing several podcasts from there. And then you and I are going to take a little road trip together. I'm probably going to have to sedate you. You know, I'll get a bottle of something and, uh, and put you out and let you go to sleep while I drive. Um, we're going to head down to Lakeland for Sun and Fun. So we're going to do a podcast from down there. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing you again. It's been too long. Yep, it has been. It has been. And it sounds like that might might be a a fun and rewarding trip. It's nothing like the students, all that young energy and and uh, young minds. Yeah. We've uh I've been down on the uh, campus not too long ago with Jason, who's gonna be on the show here shortly. And I'll tell you, every time I go down there it's it's you know, there's a new uh, vibrancy, if you will. I mean it's good to see the kids back in school and, uh, and learning. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to being on campus with you and uh, getting them involved in the podcast. So I think uh, that's going to be a great time. Now, the only thing I'm worried about, John, I don't want you raising hell on the airplane. I don't know what it is, but uh, now that the airlines have reinstituted alcohol and, and snacks, it seems to have lit a fuse under a bunch of people. And uh, the United Airlines flight attendants just uh, were making the news uh, about the fact that since they've reinstituted alcohol and snacks on the aircraft, one, they're having a hell of a time. They call it a, quote, toxic environment. They're having a hell of a time, of course, enforcing the mask mandate. And then, of course, as these guys uh, start drinking alcohol and some of which are getting polluted on the airplane, um, you know, they had that one guy bite off his seatmate's ear. Um, you got others that uh, American Airlines just had somebody in a fist fight. I mean, I, what the hell's going on with people? I think it's it's not the alcohol in the airplane as much as they, they're getting to the airports early and they're hitting the lounges and hitting them too hard. I think they're already feeling no pain when they get on the airplane. And we always have the issue of them sneaking their own booze on. Yeah, and that's a federal offense right now. Yeah, well, I see a lot of young people that, don't realize that or don't care because I've seen it a number of times now and one just recently where they brought their own booze on. And I reminded the young lady that uh, that's a federal offense, but they just laughed at me and let it go. And and I let it go as well because you can't raise the issue today because you might get your ear bitten off. You know, they're they're just gone. You know, there used to be a lot of discussion about air travel had become more like the bus. And I think now the bus might be a little bit better than air travel, given what's going on on the airplanes today. And, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult time to be an airline today. Our flight attendant, our customer support people, whether it's the gate agent or whatever, given given the uh, 
I don't know, the aggressiveness, maybe is the right word, of, of the traveling public today in the uh, stupidity on the part of some of them. Oh, I know. It, it, it's crazy, John. I mean, to have this kind of stuff going on, I mean, I understand the frustration and everything else, but there are protocols and the airlines have to follow federally mandated protocols. They aren't making up the rules as they go along. And these people have to understand. And you and I have said this multiple times on this show, time to spare, go by air. And especially now, because, you know, you're not going to be able to jump up soon as that airplane parks and go racing ass off the airplane. That's just the way it is. And if you can't do that, then take the bus, take a train, drive yourself, hitchhike, who the hell cares, but don't get on the airplane and, and create a situation that endangers flight crew members and other passengers, because that one is a federal offense. And two, Steve Dixon, I was just going through Dulles airport and they're playing a video on a continuous loop of Dixon talking about, if you do this on an airplane, we're coming after you. And you know what? There is no reprieve. We're going to take your money and you're going to go to jail. You know, they just issued a couple of very steep fines, too. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I mean, again, we're all in the same boat. You got to have patience. And, um, and I don't like sitting there anymore, you know, than anybody else. But that's just the way it is. So, you know, hope it's not going to last forever, we hope. So just chill out when you're on the airplane. Yes. Yes. Or else you're going to lose money. And speaking of money, you like to recognize that this show is sponsored by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, as well as Avemco Insurance. And if you need insurance, if you're renewing, or if you're a renter and you need renter's insurance, or if you're an instructor and need flight instruction insurance, give Avemco a call at 888-241-7891. And if you mention flight safety detectives, you'll get a 5% discount. And uh, given today that uh, we're just now getting back to work, many of us, 5% can be a great help in operating your airplane or keeping your flying going. Yeah, I mean, update your insurance by saying that, you know. And again, they'll knock 5% off. If you already have a BEMCO, talk to them about it because this is the time where – we're, we're getting into spring, and everybody's, uh, you know, dusting off the cobwebs. Speaking of updates, we have Jason Lacassic back on the show. He's a friend of this show and uh, a regular contributor. We always appreciate his expertise. We've got a lot of comments via email with regard to the Piper Wing issue on pa twenty eight. Now, they don't include the 32, even though Jason and I have had discussions about this, but uh, they do include a variety of, uh, of models of the PA-28. There's an AD out there. We've explained on previous shows the difference between the corrosion service bulletin that needed to be um, executed and now the, uh, the airworthiness directive for the wing bolt hole crackings. In the interest of transparency, I will tell you that Jason and I have been working on this issue for quite a long time, well over a year. And we speak from a level of expertise. Jason has run to ground a number of operators, both private as well as flight school operators, that have had positive results. That is, they've found cracks in the wing bolt area on a variety of their airplanes. And again, some were in the training environment, some weren't. And he's also found some cracking in wing bolts on the spar that are on airplanes that are not covered by the AD. So with that, Jason, thanks for coming back. And now I want to just turn it over to you and let's just get an update and, and give the listeners who have, uh, you know, the PA-28s and even some of the 32s. Let's give them an update of what we're finding, what you're finding, and uh, where we're going from here now. Well, hey, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me back. I sure appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to come back and give the update. And you hit it right on the head. We've been we've been working on this for quite a while, so we've been collecting a lot of data. And one of the interesting things that we found is, you know, social media has really helped with this. 
there's been a, you know, there's a lot of discussions and a lot of owners out there that ask a lot of questions and try to get the right answers and they're trying to do the right things. And it's just led to a lot of discussions. And so being able to, to find these people instead of, you know, sending out a postcard, Hey, please call me so we can talk about it to uh, them giving their experiences and everybody getting it done. You know, there's uh, you know, just been a lot of really good information has come in and, you know, kind of like you said, you know, initially, you know, we've, we've run down, I've had a lot of really good conversations since the last time that we were on the show and, you know, the numbers are going up. The good thing about the air winners directive, you know, 2020-26-16, there's an appendix at the very end. And when, when there's an issue or not an issue, you know, hopefully everybody, Everybody that does the inspection will submit the form, but in some instances, the forms aren't going to probably get filled out. But uh, these forms are going into to the FAA. Engineering is, is tracking this. And so, you know, before when we were on the show, you know, you and I have talked to, you know, I, I basically run down myself five instances of uh, wing spars, basically all of them being on PA-28s. We're still waiting on the results. I don't have the results yet. So hopefully on a future show, we can talk about the results about the PA-28-140 that's not covered under the Air Witness Directive, but may have the problem as well. Hopefully we'll have the results by the next time we get together. But uh, some other shops that we've been talking to and NDT companies and and two of the individuals that I spoke to recently, they're tracking it just at right at 5%. So 5% of their particular spars have not passed the test. Some of these, they've all been PA-28s. The last gentleman that I just spoke to, he's he's up to nine now. They found uh, out of the 200 aircraft that they've inspected, they found nine that have not uh, passed. And he's got a couple of more that they're suspect that they're doing this week. So uh, one of the interesting things about that, though, about my discussions with them and some of the other people and the things that we found is, as the FAA collects this data, a vast majority of the ones that are coming back with cracks are being found in the right wings forward bolt hole just on the aft side of the hole. So if you think it'd be, it would be the portion of the material closest to the spar, not the forward side, but the back side of it in the spar material, not in the cap and not in the skins, but actually in the spar. And they're all varying in size. That's kind of one of the interesting things that we're finding now of, of the of the approximately 15 that I'm tracking. It appears that at least 12 of them are right wing. Uh, one particular airplane was both wings. So, but in, in this one particular instance, it, it appears like uh, it's going to be on the right side. So definitely want to follow up on that. I don't know, again, if you've been watching the social media, there's been a lot of uh, discussion uh, apparently in the middle of this. And I don't know if the FAA has come out with any sort of instruction yet or if they're even aware. But as part of the forums, there's a lot of scuttle going on right now that as these inspections we're beginning a lot of people order the parts the bolts and the washers and the nuts and everything to, to put to, to comply with the air witness directive it appears that a, a lot of the washers um that were purchased may may we're saying may because we don't, don't know for sure i'm still running this to ground right now may have been incorrect so there's a specific washer outlined for each one of the aircraft and you have to go to your table and Find the find the washer, and hopefully, what we'll do is in, in the future show here in a couple of weeks, maybe we can actually talk about the right hardware. And what we'll do is we'll put images and pictures and part numbers out for everything. But it appears that a, a series it's been claimed that five thousand of the wrong washers have been sent out. They go under the bolt head. Yeah. And so, as part of that, you know, they're just researching right now to try to figure out whether or not the correct parts have been purchased. Now, so, a couple things, Jace. A couple things that we've had discussions about we brought it up i believe on the on a previous show but um it, it's reared its ugly head because you uh, you did some research into it and that is these guys there's some folks that uh, have been trying to come up with an amoc or an alternate means of compliance and what they're doing is is drilling out these holes oversizing these holes to get rid of the crack and then sticking a bushing in there and and I, I, hey, look, I'm just a flunky investigator, but you start you start shaving off material off the actual spar, that increases the size of the bolt hole, which takes material away from the spar, which that spar <laughs> was engineered to have so much material and those holes, this a particular size. Now you start taking that away, it just is logic that it, that structure is going to be weakened. Or if it isn't weakened immediately, it'll weaken over time faster. So it's not a permanent fix. And the engineering for that has got to be pretty strong. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole unless I saw some pretty robust data 
analysis. Jason, I got another question for you. It came from, from somebody. I was down in Florida not long ago, and, uh, and actually I was up north of Palm Beach, and somebody, I talked to somebody that was very knowledgeable about Piper. I suspected he may have been a, a former employee or maybe even a current employee. But in any event, uh, he raised an interesting issue. He said that uh, years ago, during one of the many management changes, ownership changes of Piper, they were actually owned by some foreign entities that changed the supplier of aluminum to a supplier from the uh, Far East. And that after that change, they experienced a large number of problems. There was something going on with the material, the aluminum that was was uh, being sold to Piper by this uh, company, foreign company. And it it went on for a number of years, and then ultimately they ended up changing suppliers. I wonder if that could be part of this this uh, load, and if anybody has looked at it, and part of the you know the time frame where these cracks started to propagate. Well, right now, you know, FAA engineering is all over that, John, and that brings up a really good question. And so, I mean, to be honest with you, that would be something that obviously you and I are going to have a hard time tracking down from the outside. But that would be a very good question for somebody on the inside to, you know, just kind of send an email. And I might just go ahead and do that for you. I just may go ahead and send that uh, that sort of idea forward and just see how it goes and to see if that's been discussed. It might have been. At this point, it, it, it may have been discussed or already talked about, but maybe not. But that's always something good to bring up. Kind of just, I just want to circle back just w- real second. When Greg was talking about the bushings and the alternate means of compliance prior to the, the AD coming out, we thought this was a rumor. Now, I had heard about this six months ago. I thought it was a rumor. It wasn't until I just recently talked to a, a repair station, an ATT repair station, where he confirmed that this actually did occur that it happened, that some DER up on the West Coast of the U.S. has approved this, and they came out. Now, I don't know how that affects the aircraft, because this was done prior to the AD, but now that the AD's out, I'm not sure exactly the integration of how his alternate means of compliance prior to the AT being issued, and now, because now it doesn't meet, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to cross over. So I'm, I'm in the process of trying to find that person right now, and uh, hopefully in the near future, we can talk about it. I, I think it would be a great show to discuss about the process of determining that, just like you said, and who came up with the ironclad data to say that, that you know, being able to put bushings and oversized bolts and everything in, you know, was more than satisfactory for the design. I'd like to cover that later. That's a common occurrence in, in maintenance where you do oversize, you know, torque links on, a, on the nose link on the steering or the main gear. It's very common to oversize that that uh, rod that goes through there and put bushings on it. So it, that's probably where the idea came from. Except uh, on a on a primary structure like a wing attach point, boy, I would be I'd want like you said ironclad data. Oh, ironclad! I I wouldn't boy if I saw that as a as a as a mechanic doing an inspection and find that I. Personally, I can't, maybe the engineering and the mathematics does work out for that, but that to me is, you know, as, as you're removing the material, you know, are you doing an adequate job? Not only so when you're removing the material, are you doing it with the wing installed? Are you doing it through the spar box? Are you doing it with the re- wing removed? Are you doing just the spar box by itself? And then there's a lot. I've got like 50 questions I would have to ask about that whole process because you obviously just wouldn't want to take a bolt out. And then just use a drill while the wing is under load, and then run a drill up to it and enlarge yeah. the hole. Yeah, so there's ream, a whole ream it out. I mean, that's yeah, just <laughs> reaming it out while under while it's under a load. I, I, there's I've got so many questions about how you would even go about doing that. So yeah, I'm, that's why I'm I'm working hard. Hopefully, I find this this particular gentleman and and we can talk about that because I think it would be just fascinating to understand how they really thought that that was a good idea and how they did that. So maybe it does work out, but. I'm not sure I would do that. Good morning, John. The ground is Canadian 920. We're just coming up to Alpha Juliet. One of the other things that you and I have done, Jason, in doing all of our research is, of course, we pulled all of the responses during the course of the SMPRM that the FAA had issued uh, soliciting uh, comments with regard to this AD and, and prior to the issuance of the AD. And, of course, one of the respondents was Piper. 
And they went on and they they wrote a diatribe about the fact that uh, this was a, a limited problem. It was basically isolated to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and they indicted their maintenance for it. You and I, during the course of our research, found that that absolutely wasn't true, that in fact there was an airplane that had a cracked wing spar at the bolt hole prior to the accident involving the Embry-Riddle airplane. And based on our research, we found that, in fact, Piper was made aware of it. That's disheartening. But again, we're still uh, conducting research, but yet you're, you're right, Greg. So there was a lot of prior to them supplying that letter, basically, essentially stating that the one operator of the aircraft, you know, didn't really have an adequate maintenance program in place, which really is absolutely not true, uh, that there was other ones that they were aware of that occurred outside of that environment. So by reading some of the replies, you would get the impression that, well, this is a one organization, one or two airplane type of event, and it's just their problem, which it's not. The numbers now are just, the numbers are way too high. And if we stop one airplane from having, you know, a fatal accident by having a wing separation, we've we've accomplished the goal, and we're well beyond that now. So as the FAA, as, as, as I'm hoping any owners that are listening to the podcast tonight ensure that even if they don't know if their shop in the NDT shop that they're working for, whether they're a repair station or not, using the Appendix A section of the Airworthiness Directive at the end of the bulletin, which is page 18. If you can fill that out, just fill it out with basic information and just get it back to the email address. If you can just take a picture of it with your phone after you fill out the form with a pencil, take a picture of it and just send the email into the FAA just so they can track all of these so we can have an opportunity to follow up later on and and get the data. And then, you know, a couple of years from now, when we look back on it, I think that we're going to have a much better idea about what the actual inspection interval should be and what should be done by defining certain flight events and categories and, and aircraft operations. So that way you can create a better maintenance program for looking for these kinds of things. You know, we've gone through it before. This is a very difficult spot. And after I've been talking to the various inspectors and different shops that I've spoken to that's found the cracks, I was very specific in the question of exactly where they're finding it. And I think what we'll do, Greg, is I'll get the, I'll get a picture from one of the NDT reports that I have that shows uh you know, we use dipenetrin afterwards and wipe it off so that way you can see the very defined crack. I think what we'll do is I'll, I'll get you a couple of photos out there and we can put them Great. on the podcast site. And yep. then you guys can you guys can actually define it. So when everybody's looking and they and they're the owners are talking with their inspection shops, they can go, look, they're finding it right here. That almost all of them are right in this spot. Just so again, just get the information out for more people. Yeah, a couple of things that concern me with this, Jason, is one. You know, I've been reading on uh, all the social media sites. These guys are trying to do their flight hour calculations. That is, you know, does their airplane particularly fall into the category where the inspection is required or necessary and things like that? And two, um, like you said, you're finding at least you found one airplane that had a problem with the wing spar. That isn't covered by the AD. So now the question is, should the FAA go back and review? Are they going to just say, well, that's an isolated event? Or is there a real possibility that, hey, maybe the AD isn't broad scope enough and that we've got to open up the serial number uh, bases to have the inspection done? Yeah, I think I think once we collect the data, I like I told you before, once I have the NDT report in hand, if they if it does in fact show that there is a crack in this particular wing, and again we're talking right wing four bolt hole, you know. So if in the event that this airplane, which is outside of the category, is, I mean, the first call I'm going to make is I'm going to send forward an email traffic, and I'll call the FAA and go, look, here's the here's the situation, and this is what we found. I, I know there were more aircraft on the initial first notification of the potential air witness directive and then it's been refined and they took you know they did a lot of wing loading calculations and then from the mathematical calculations they they decreased the amount of aircraft um, in the pool for the ad based on this wing calculations but there there may be other factors in there that need to be looked at so as the faa begins collecting all this information which i know for sure from at least one other repair station that i've spoken to they've already submitted nine 
nine nine full reports to include all their work orders and everything to the FAA. So I know about those, and I know about the ones that we found. So the, the FAA, just at the just at the ones that we know about now, were at least at fifteen for sure, and they've yeah. probably collected a lot more. So you know, analyzing the data, looking at the history, going back to the, you know, we just kind of wanted it. The formula that they use is, is quite difficult. So if you've ever had a wing off or you're missing a logbook, go ahead and get it done if it wasn't a new SPAR. When you're doing yeah. your factor time and service, count the progressives and the annuals, do the calculation. And if you're close, for peace of mind, just go ahead and get it done. They are, well, there are some airplanes that have you know gone 17,000 hours without a problem. And there's other ones we're finding that have 5,800 hours that have had problems in a non-flight school training environment. And that's uh, that's what I intend to do once I get this Piper Arrow that I'm in the process of purchasing is I it, the factored hours. You and I have looked at the airplane. We did an extensive annual that's not done yet, but uh, and the wing spar looks good visually. But for peace of mind, given the fact that I'm flying it, I'm going to have you in the airplane with me. I'll eventually get John in it somehow, some way and, and other folks. It's for my peace of mind. I mean, I, I, it's 1500 bucks or whatever it's going to cost me. It's well worth it to know that that's one issue I don't have to worry about. It's down to about $700 now. And if we can touch on one more thing, I know we've talked about this before, but I think we need to make one more final push it for the owners that are listening here. If your mechanic says that he can take the bolts out with the airplane sitting on the ground without doing anything, don't that you, you need to really have a hard conversation with your mechanic. There are a lot of discussions going on. People I'm talking to with their mechanics are putting lubricant on them, not lifting the airplanes up, and tapping the bolts out with brass drifts. We do not. Everybody does not want anybody tapping the bolts out, you know, while they're under a load. So they they need to come up with the idea. They need to reread the bullets in again. They need to read the airworthiness directive. They need to read service instructions. Do not. If your mechanic is going to put die penetrant on it and tap them out with a brass drift, you need to rethink that. Don't do it. John, you know, it's it's one of those things where we've had previous shows. You and I have talked about, you know, professionalism and, and the maintenance guys and everything else. And you have mechanics at uh, at. I, I won't say large facilities, but there are mechanics at large facilities that, that will be working on these types of airplanes, all the way down to the guy who works out of the back of his pickup truck. And and I know that PAMA is, is really big on the fact of trying to set standards, trying to, uh, to not only employ, but uh, really ensure that, you know, mechanics employ best practices. And how is it that we get these guys? I mean, when when we read the forums and these guys are doing things to these airplanes, contrary to the AD and how you're supposed to remove the bolts so you can do the inspections, why the hell do these guys think that, you know, what their way is better? I know that it simplifies. I know that it, quote, may be cheaper. But why and why would they put their reputation, their character, and their certificates on the line. Uh, part of the reason is the pressure from the owners over the cost. And part of them is, uh, you know, the, their ego. You know, I can do this. I can do anything. It's the same thing with major minor. I mean, I, I've been involved with an operation, and reviewing an operation in New Jersey that had extensive tail damaged onto an airplane and they replaced the entire fuselage from the just behind the passenger cabin where there's a bulkhead all the way back to the tail and they called that a minor repair including damage to the stabilator a new spa had to be put into the stabilator and they called all of that minor repair which anyone not even aviation related can look at the parts list that they assembled and put on the airplane, and then read the the forty three one A, and it, right, it pops right out at you. That's a major repair, but yet they they accomplished it as a minor repair. Chase, I know that you just did your IA renewal. I mean, do they emphasize you know professionalism, or do they just try to rehash what you guys already know, or talk about you know new things that the FAA wants you to know? 
Yeah, they just talk about new things and, you know, they they go over that just a little bit. There's not a lot that goes into that during most of the IA seminars uh, based on the guest speakers. But normally when the FAA gets up, you know, they talk about paperwork and filling out 337s and forms and, you know, complying with 439 and 4311. What's the difference between an inspection and, you know, and routine maintenance and how you do the log entries? They touch on a little bit of those things, but really going into the the whole professionalism, like you probably shouldn't be changing a control cable while talking on the telephone. Uh, they, there's not a lot of that. That's just kind of uh, you probably shouldn't be on your phone or talking to somebody while you're changing a tro- control cable. They don't they don't c- come right out and tell you to not do that because uh, I think 98% of us know that you know you probably shouldn't do that. So you know, getting distracted while uh, while performing maintenance. So yeah, they don't go too much into that because that's really taught at the basic level when you're going through your general portion of your A&P license. You know, uh, most of the people go through and get their A&Ps, you know, through accredited agencies and, you know, universities and things. So, uh, that's just kind of one of the things they always teach you in class and they're always making sure you're focused. Do you have the current instructions for continued airworthiness? You know, do you have the correct tooling? Do you, you know, that's just one of those things that's just constantly reinforced while you're there. And, and, you know, when you're out on your own doing your own thing or working in your own shop, I, I know it's not reinforced like that. Some shops do do that. Some repair stations, you know, do reinforce. But, uh, yeah, it's not talked about as much. And and maybe during IA renewals now, you know, it, maybe it would be really good that there's a, you know, 50-minute or 55-minute segment you know, every single year talking about just rehashing paperwork, professionalism. This is how you should conduct yourself. You know, those kinds of things that would probably be a really good idea. It's obvious in pilot training, you know, every time you go to training, you've done 6,000 of these things, but, uh, you know, like a V1 cut, every, every transport category pilot out there has done, you know, <laughs> more V1 cuts than they care to care to count, but it's, it's to reinforce that muscle memory and, and just really understand it. We, we, you know, we put people through various elements of crew resource management or, or crew leadership management, depending on where you are and what program. But these principles are reinforced, of course, on every FAA, not only practical test, but the knowledge test. They're always reinforcing these little safety messages. I'm doing my flight instructor renewal right now. And so I'm doing it online and, and going through questions and stuff, and they and they harp on reinforcing a message that I've known since I started flying, you know, eons ago. It's a good reinforcement, and, and maybe we need to remind these guys because you and I have been reading these forums. It tells you they don't want to tap the bolts out. What are these guys doing? Tapping the bolts out. It's like, what part of this don't you understand? Have we talked about the guy that got the two thin nuts yet? I don't think we've ever mentioned that on the show. They'll jump about that. No, you have to tell them that. I mean, it's just this is this is how ridiculous it gets, John. It's, it's amazing, John. So we're on this. I'm on one forum that we're in, and this guy was coming up with an inventive way because he didn't want to build uh, an airframe jig and didn't have jacks or anything. So he went out and bought two of the correct thread pitch thin nuts. And he ran one nut up close to the fuselage and then ran the second nut up to the first nut to lock it into place. And then he used a ratchet to spin the wing bolts out, spin the spar bolts out while pushing up. Oh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, when we read these things, I, I just, you know, the inventiveness that everybody's coming up with for for the lack of a clear defined process for how to do it you know everybody kind of you know this is how you do it and there's natural ways that you would normally do this but some people are are just coming up with these ways and i texted i texted uh, greg and i said you're not going to believe what just happened in here i read this and yeah there were there was a whole conversation between a half a dozen people about doing it and how great of an idea it was it's like uh, yeah this this is not a great idea don't do this 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 is really bad actually yeah you know <laughs> the threads on a bolt can actually act like a hacksaw if you have a load put on it from one direction as you're driving it out. It's like a sawtooth. As it's at a slight angle, close tolerance in, in both the spar and the uh, the uh, spar box, as you're pushing the bolt up and out, you're absolutely right. As you're spinning it, it's cutting into the side at the top. You know, you have to look at the angle of it too. So like I've tried, I've tried to explain, I've, 
told 50 people now about kind of how the, the jig that we kind of built, kind of the easy way to do it. And I'll just kind of cover here for just a sec. So we just built in a couple of them that we did. We just built a very basic fuselage jig, if you will, just using four by fours. And so you just, you lift the airplane up, you slide this jig directly under the fuselage sitting on the, you know, four and a half longeron. So it doesn't touch anything. Just, you know, we're just talking, you just need to get the airplane off the ground three quarters of an inch, lift the fuselage up, set it down on the little jig we built. And then you go to each side. And when you put the wing jack on each side, if you just apply a, with the airframe up, just a little bit of, just a slight bit of pressure on either side, the bolts pop right out with your finger. They just, they just, you just push them with your finger and they pop right out. Unless you're in some sort of, which I haven't seen yet, heard about it, unless you're in some sort of super salty corrosive environment where there's an extensive amount of corrosion in there and, and they're hung up for some reason. But all the other ones that we did, just with your finger, boop, they pop right out, inspect them. You know, have a look at the holes, clean everything up, do your inspection. So um, we haven't built any sort of, I didn't put any sort of plans or anything out. We just randomly got material where we were at around the country and we built these little uh, platform jigs, if you will, and just rested the airframe on it and it worked out perfect. So there's no real instructions out there, but if there's any owners out there listening to the mechanics that want to just have one in their shop that they can use, um, you just use it over and over again. And then when you're done, just take it apart. It works really well. You know, I wonder how many of these mechanics realized it at the factory when they line those the uh, wing bolts up, they ream those holes, they don't drill them to get the, the close tolerance, no wandering drill, there's no problem with uh, drill bits that are not sharp. You just drill it under undersize and ream it to the proper size. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anybody knows that. And that's, you know, it's really interesting that you brought that up because one of the NDT guys I was just talking to, level three, he's, he's been doing big military contracts. He's a, he's very well respected in the NTT community. He's doing lots of these. He was telling me that they have found in the inside of the hold, they have found just from the reaming process, they've found little shavings vertically in the inside. So he uses, he's got a little sort of Teflon pipe cleaner that they use. So the only thing that they do in the holes before they start is they look up in there to see if there's any sort of material corrosion or any sort of previous dye penetrant from previous inspections. He just looks up in there and then they just use a little pipe cleaner, if you will. They don't remove any material. They just clean the hole a little bit. And then he said on a couple of inspections, they have found little shavings from that process that are vertical. So, you know, they'll go in, do the inspection, they see the anomaly, they get in there, they clean it out a little bit, and it's gone. But that has happened a couple of times. So, Jason, so I'm sorry, Jace, uh, to cut you off. Why don't you talk about that other one where we were able or you were able to identify the wing spar and they had cleaned it out with what a brass brush or whatever. So they, <laughs> they killed all the evidence. <laughs> so, so we talked previously about. The corrosion. So the, the corrosion one, and it just so happened to be on the same wing. What happened was, is the NDT shop went over and on the very first bolt hole they were doing, they went out to the outside of the bolt hole. They, the wings were off. They got in there and all of a sudden they noticed some corrosion on the inside of the hole. So they went to the back hole. Well, there was a little corrosion in there. So the NDT guy said, hey, I've got another job I got to do. I got to go run and do that job. I'll come back. Why don't you just go ahead and clean these holes out? And just, you know, just kind of clean it up, thinking they were going to use a little pipe cleaner and clean them up. So he leaves and comes back. When he come back, the maintenance shop had used sandpaper and Scotch-Brite and, and, and basically ran it around in a circle inside of the holes, cleaning the holes completely out, essentially enlarging all of the holes on both spars, top and bottom, with the wings removed. So the, the NDT shop shows back up, and he's like, oh, man, what you guys do? And he goes, well, you said clean all the holes. Well, they clean the holes all right. So he went ahead and because he was there, he set up and did an inspection and he found crack, even though they had really cleaned the holes. I mean, really, I've got great pictures of it. They really cleaned the holes. They still found three cracks on one side and two cracks on the opposite side. But again, they not only did they do the wing spars, they also cleaned the spar box holes the same way. I it just, I was just shocked. So after they did that and they had a look, you know, and the maintenance guys, the maintenance managers got involved and everything. It was just, it was just shocking what had happened. And the aircraft, which was essentially a good airplane, they scrapped it. So the aircraft was sold off to a salvage company and disassembled. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of complexities with doing this AD and, 
and again, we monitor the forums, and of course, uh, we've got listeners that are uh, that are sending us emails, and we greatly appreciate it. That's why having Jason back on to get more into to detail. If you do have questions and you do own one of these aircraft, please don't hesitate to uh, to drop us a line at flight safety detectives at gmail.com because we read them all and I can get on the horn with Jason or John can get on with Jason and run these by them. And if we get enough of them, we'll have Jason on again to update and explain. So I think that this is always valuable, especially with some of the misinformation or miscommunication or just a, a lack of understanding of what in uh, what needs to be done and how it needs to be done so as always jason we really appreciate uh, you coming back on the show to give us an update again you are the regular contributor the friend of the show so we know where to find you and we're going to have you back absolutely for sure because uh, you and i are working on a couple of more issues that are going to be of very significant interest to uh, to our audience and maybe a new audience as well can you share any of those details? Well, we're currently working on another Piper product. This one is their upper-end product, the M500 and M600s. They've had some issues with directional control attributed to the front end of the uh, nose wheel steering system. Jason and I are in the midst of uh, not only doing a lot of research, but there's been a number of these events. We're collecting data on these events We've been trying to help educate the FAA and the NTSB regarding these events based on our data. So I don't want to go too far into it because uh, there's some other um, activities taking place. But when we get to that point, hopefully in the very near future, it's going to be eye-opening to a lot of people because it gives you a whole different perspective. Because as as you know, kind of like buying a car, you you assume that the engineering went into the car to make it safe, and the same with an airplane, you assume that the engineering went into the airplane to make it safe as well. But just like Boeing is still fighting off the fact that they've taken an old design with the 737, and they continually have in quote improved it. They've stretched it. They put different engines on it. They they changed the performance characteristics. They put a different wing on it. You know, people said, scrap it and just start all over again. Well, Piper has kind of done the same thing with their upper end M500s and 600s by taking the original PA46 Malibu and, uh, you know, putting it on steroids and, and then strapping a turboprop engine on the front. End. And again, you don't just do that. I mean, there's some engineering issues that we're looking at. So it's going to be a multi part show when we finally are able to start disclosing a lot of the information that uh, that we're working on and developing. And we're going to see where the FAA, the NTSB, and Piper are going with what we found and what they're finding in their respective investigations. So that's going to require Jason to be back on because he's done all the hard work and, um, and legwork on this. So it's going to be real interesting. So You know, it's complicated to design and build an airplane. But sometimes it's more complicated to go back in and, and try to improve what you've already designed instead of starting with a clean sheet. And I understand the cost when you start with a clean sheet. You're going back to certification from square one. And I'm not sure how many people or pilots uh, realize just how expensive it is to get something certified by the FAA. Uh, you know, and certifying all the little pieces costs a lot of money. But then certifying the whole package with all those little pieces on it is just hugely expensive, hugely. Well, Jason's been in that part of the process when he worked for the FAA. And that's the fortunate thing about working with him is that we've been able to to get into areas, look at things that the typical, quote, engineer and even the typical uh, maintenance guy, isn't really looking at because we're looking at it with a, a more critical eye from a variety of different perspectives and finding some shortcomings that, you know, uh, apparently we're going to go overlooked or ignored by some of the federales that we've been working with and uh, we've harped this issue. So it's going to be a good series once Jason and I can really lay it all out for the listeners and, and show them what we found. And it's good to get in on the front end because we know from so from recent shows and 
in some of our own experiences that if you try to change it after the fact, you know, trying to change an NTSB report after they've already issued it on a subject, even if you have compelling information, is is hugely difficult. Hugely difficult. Yep, I've been I've been on the receiving end of having to write those reconsiderations to all the research and either write a love letter back saying, thanks for your interest in aviation safety, but we're not changing the probable cause. I did, in fact, do research when I was with the board on a reconsideration, and, and the board did, in fact, change the cause. But it took a lot of compelling information to prove the point. Well, John, I think that this has, again, been another informative show. Jason, as always, we really appreciate you contributing. And I'm looking forward to talking about the other issues that uh, that we're pursuing as well. So, as always, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I sure appreciate it. And, John, I know that, uh, again, our listeners drive a lot of what we talk about. We've been doing a lot of shows now where we're trying to look at what the listeners are sending us and then building the show around it. And we encourage you to, to continue to do that. And John and I are open. We don't care. Good, bad, or indifferent. You like what we're talking about? Great. Let us know. You don't like what we're talking about? Great. Let us know. You think we're full of it? Great. Let us know. But if you're going to challenge us and you're going to critique us and you're going to be negative, then put your money where your mouth is. I don't mind helpful criticism or an education, but don't just say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. About what? I mean, that's a pretty generic statement. Give us examples. Provide us some facts to back up your position. And John and I are always open to changing our mind if I can be re-educated. But we do a lot of time trying to not only understand the issue, we research the issue before we talk about the issues. And there may be times when we miss things. So, again, we appreciate the dialogue. That's what makes, I think, this show successful is we're trying to raise the interest. We're trying to raise the questions, this, quote, hanger flying. We're just doing it through a different medium. And if we need to, we get subject matter experts like Jason and others on the show to to, to have this dialogue. Um, because it's all about education. It's all about enhancing aviation safety because we're all working for this common goal, and that is to be safe and to fly safe. So again, we, we always appreciate your feedback. And of course, we we definitely appreciate our sponsors, PAMA and Avemco. We can't say enough about the fact that uh, they help us keep this show going. And we I saw recently that we had additional donations through the YouTube channel. So for you that have uh, continually contributed or are new contributors, we greatly appreciate your donations because again, that goes to paying for the production costs. John and I don't pocket any of that. We have production costs with this, uh, with this show. We have folks that uh, clean it up, edit it, and things like that. So, and then of course we have our PR person who puts together all the show notes, puts it up on the website, uh, makes it pretty, gets the information out there. So we appreciate all the effort that Jill puts behind uh, getting these shows out on time. And we appreciate you contributing to, uh, to that production cost. Before we go, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our listeners on the show in fact, it might actually be this week's that's just got posted today. We had Amy on, and I was looking through our comments, and I found a couple of additional people who emailed in that I'd like to put on the show, so I will forward those to you, see if you agree. I'd like to make that a regular segment, you know, maybe once a month, have one of our listeners on that raises some interesting questions and, and uh, open the dialogue. Absolutely. It's always good to have another voice and our listeners' voices are very valuable to us. So absolutely. I'm, I'm all for it, my friend. Okay. And again, remind everybody that the show is brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, and Avemco, who will give you a 5% discount if you call them up and just say you listen to the show. The 888-241-7891 is one of their phone numbers and give them a call if you're looking to renew, if you're a renter and you want renter's insurance, if you're a flight instructor and need flight instruction insurance, 
Whatever your insurance needs around aviation, give them a call. Good people to deal with. And again, mention Flight Safety Detectives and you get a 5% discount. So it's time to close the show. And am I going to close it? Of course you're going to close it because, John, I always give you the last words. No, you don't. It's just after the recording stops, you give me a couple more words. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's when I give you the choice words. But while we're on the air, I give you the last word. Okay. Well, everybody, we're still in the midst of this virus, even though we've got, I just read where we have 100 million Americans that have been vaccinated. That's only a little less than one third of the country. So we got a ways to go. So please, in our personal lives, stay safe. Wear the mask. Wash your hands. Don't gather in large crowds inside. No big restaurant gatherings or weightlifting, bending your elbow 12 inches at a time or 12 ounces at a time. Yeah, that's that's you. That's your form of weightlifting. Yeah, the rest of us are out there that. actually trying to stay fit. <laughs> that's true. And if you go flying, please exercise the utmost care and caution. Good pre-flight. I mean, I'm just reading some more, and I'll call them stupid accidents, because the pilots just didn't do what they're supposed to do. And just recently, we talked about the impossible turn. You know, why get yourself in that situation? Do your homework beforehand. When you're going to take off, look where you're going to land. If something goes wrong and you're 500 feet off the end of the runway, pick a place beforehand, not in the moment. I mean, I just read where we killed a bunch of skydivers. The airplane crashed on the perimeter of the airport, inside the fence, because the pilot did something stupid. So please, if you're going to go flying, be cautious. Be cautious. Don't do something stupid and cause yourself to, to perish or other people to perish. So please, fly safe. Absolutely. Let me just say, because I'm taking the last word, John. I just decided I'm taking the last word. That you and I, again, are going to be on the road together finally. And um, and if you are heading to uh, Sun and Fun, be sure to look out for us. So we're going to be wandering around, but we're also going to be doing a podcast. And then for our listeners at Embry-Riddle, we're going to be down in Daytona on campus. We're going to be mingling with uh, the students and faculty, and we're going to be talking about a variety of things. So definitely look out for us while you're doing that. As John said, stay safe and definitely fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at pama.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.